Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Ephesians 18 through 20, chapter 5, 18 through 21. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, come before you even right now, together. We're expectant, even right now as we draw near to you, that you have already drawn near to us. God, that is our hope in this life, not in our ability to get to you or reach you or connect with you, but in the gracious ways that you pursue relationship with us beyond what we deserve. We know that. I think of the psalmist who says that mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we just boast in you this morning. We thank you that that's true about us today and so clearly seen in Jesus. You're worth it all as we sang and you have us here for a reason this morning. There's something, God, that, that, that you are initiating and something that you're up to in our lives as a community and as individuals and, and even the individual that, that just ended up gathering in here this morning. We, we don't believe that this is just a, a church service or a gathering, but there's something special that you promise when your people assemble in your name. Around you, for you, you promise to be especially present here. And so, God, would you... Um, Reveal that to us. Would you make that real to us that we could leave here not so much mindful of a church or, or, a, or a preacher or, or anything else, but mindful of you and who you are and what you're doing in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come afresh and fall on us and that, God, you would speak to us today, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Alrighty. Well, we're in the sixth month of a walkthrough in the book of Ephesians. This is a New Testament book in the Bible, 66 books in the Bible, broken up into two parts, Old and New Testament. Here in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, in its original context, was a letter. This was a letter um, that the Apostle Paul wrote, almost more as Pastor Paul, to a young church that he had a great big heart for. And it's one of the most encouraging letters because most of the time Paul writes letters to churches to fix what's broken, to untangle the knots they've created, and really to like bring rebuke and correction. And um, that's needed in our lives. Uh, That's why we live in community with each other and we trust each other. But Ephesians is, is a breath of fresh air because it's kind of just like an encouragement to a church that isn't perfect but is being faithful. And Ephesians is written to this church with a charge and an encouragement to remain in that faithfulness. It's kind of refreshing. Like, just continue along the way that you're going is kind of the idea of Ephesians. And there's a, a phrase that Paul uses all throughout Ephesians. We see it in this passage. It's maybe in every collection of verses, almost every other verse. And it's a phrase that Paul uses to describe really like what a Christian is from God's perspective. Christians are a lot of things from different people's perspectives, aren't they? Um, From the outside world, from the inside church, Christians have all sorts of different um, uh, reputations and perspectives. But the the phrase that's used in the book of Ephesians to describe a Christian or someone who's saved and belonging to God is this phrase, uh, this description of someone who's in Christ. That's a Christian. From Paul's angle, he's like, who are you? You're someone who's in Christ. Jesus. A Christian is not just someone that looks back on something that Jesus did for them and tries to live toward him, but a Christian is someone who has been repositioned in Jesus forever. This is your new position. This is where you sit. This is where you stand. You're in Christ. 
No longer just in the flesh, no longer in the hopeless state apart from him, but in Jesus. The best place to, to be in life is to be in Jesus, to be in him. <clears throat> That's encouraging for us. And so each week we're kind of unpacking what that looks like, the different aspects of life in Jesus. Like, what does that really mean? Let's open up that, that treasure chest and explore what that you know, really means. And really, why is that good news? Like, why should I today, someone maybe who's like in some really difficult stuff, because likely vast majority of us today feel like we're, we're in more than Jesus today. <laughs> like maybe we're in trial, we're in hardship, we're in seasons of confusion, and, confusion and, and doubt. Why should I be encouraged today to know that despite all that, I'm in Christ? And that's what we're exploring, hopefully getting our hearts encouraged along the way. And so this morning, we're looking at a different aspect of it. And go ahead and write this down. This is not a new title, but it's part two. This morning, we're looking at filled in Christ Part two, this is the second half, or second part, I should say, of this idea that we began to explore, well, it was two weeks ago, as we broke into verse 18, where Paul is, is describing a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is where we're going today. Ephesians 5.18, Lynn just read it over us, life in Christ involves being filled. He says this, do not be drunk with wine and which is dissipation, not a word we commonly use. Another word for that is debauchery. He says, but instead, here's the call and the command for you and I in Christ. Let your life be marked as being filled with the Spirit. That's what we're after, being filled with the Spirit. And notice the title of today is Filled Part 2. And I just have to say, it's because I have not been able to move on from this verse. Um, I tried. I want to tell you that. I tried. I have a whole sermon, like, ready for next week that's been ready for, like, three weeks. We first looked at this verse early in June, and this isn't a norm for us. Typically, we kind of just go at a steady pace through books of the Bible. But I just want to say, first of all, the Holy Spirit just keeps giving me things to say, which we're not too surprised about. But Genuinely, though, I do feel the Holy Spirit keeps just, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not so much seeking it as much as he is. And as I go to move on, there's just fresh stuff that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me that, that kind of burns in me for you and for me. And so I, I believe, as we were even praying as a church coming into this, like, usually if God is repeating a theme, he's really trying to get a point across, Right? And usually if God's repeating a theme, he really wants us to learn something. And so I think there's something in this. We'll be back in this verse next week too, okay? I'll have a different title, I promise, than Filled in Christ Part 3, all right? <clears throat> but there's something that the Lord is seeking, I believe, to teach us individually and really like, maybe more like, not just teach us, because that's so academic, like, I just think there's a place he wants to bring us. There's a deeper space he wants to take us. And so, here we are, part two, filled with Christ, filled in the Spirit. Here in this passage, as we studied a couple weeks ago, let me brush you up a little bit to get some context here so we can move forward. Paul is, of course, speaking about the Holy Spirit. Let's start there. He says, be filled with the Spirit. If you go to our podcast, you can uh, save us some time here and go back and listen to, which was about, I think I did about 20 minutes, just the theology of the nature of God as, as a triune being and how the Holy Spirit is, is not some force emanating from God, but is God himself with personality. He is a, an individual who can be grieved. We're talking about God here, God the Holy Spirit, who Chuck Smith says is the primary agent of the Godhead at work in the world today. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the presence and power of God at work in the world and in our lives. Uh, and here in this passage, hear this. This is really important, really important for us to get this foundational idea. Paul is speaking in Ephesians 5, and really in the whole book of Ephesians, he gets to this. Paul is speaking about, listen closely, the relationship of the Holy Spirit to those who are in Christ. We must get this. The relationship of the Holy Spirit and how he relates to those of us who are in Jesus and also how we relate to him. Um, now, this concept of our relationship to the Holy Spirit being in Christ, and it, by the way, being different, it's a different relationship for someone who's not in Christ. This is something that Paul has been kind of 
uh, progressively unpacking in Ephesians. We looked last week at this great idea, Ephesians 1. Paul comes out the gate, and he usually lays a foundation before he builds the walls. And so in Ephesians 1, he lays a foundation about that relationship that we have now to the Holy Spirit and him to us. And Paul just gives, like, some good gospel truth. He's like, here's something to rest in today, okay? There's nothing to do here except receive. He says, in Jesus you trusted. This is someone who's in Christ. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's how you're saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You don't work your way to God. You receive the good news of what Christ has done for you, and you're saved. You believe, and you're you're saved. And it says, in Jesus also having believed, notice this incredible promise, you were, go ahead and say it, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is true over your life today if you're in Christ. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Greek word there is the down payment. I love that, of what's to come. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's to come when we face Christ face to face to the praise of his glory. But here's the big idea. Paul wants us to know that through Jesus, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In that culture, a seal was a, a literal stamp that was um, through a signet ring. Today we have signatures. We, that's, that's kind of the sign of our ownership and authority. Back then, uh, before the day and age of you know, ballpoint pens, you had a signet ring that had a certain emblem upon it that resembled your logo and your brand. That's sick, by the way. Wouldn't that be cool if we could bring that back? It's like, what's up? This is my brand. You know what I'm saying? But that'd be cool if we all had a brand. I think. Um, but back then, when you were to communicate with someone or, or, or mail them or, or have a courier bring them a document, you would take your signet ring and you would stamp the wax on that envelope to seal that document. And when they got that letter in the mail, you know there's some mail that you just kind of look at the outside and you don't even have to open it up? You know what I'm talking about? That junk mail? Okay? And that's why, like, the, the, the real scammers are really good at making you open it up and being like, why did I open this? Like, I thought I was, it says that I won a million dollars. Why did I open this? Okay? Well, back then, you didn't have to go through that whole process. When you got a letter, the way that you knew the significance of that document was based on whose, what, seal was upon that envelope. And if it, if it was the seal of someone significant, there was a certain weight to what was inside, right? Now, translate that to what Paul is intending to say here about you and I in Christ. His stamp of ownership is on your life in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's stamp of ownership so that when heaven sees you and the enemy comes to attack you, listen, you may not see it all the time. Your, Your family might not see it. We, we often fail to see it, especially when we look in the mirror, we see, the, again, honest truth, uh, a true look at our lives. But can I tell you, from heaven's perspective, you're stamped and sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ. And the key word there is like sealed. You know what I mean? One and done. The idea there is it's secure. You belong to God, and you belong to him forever. His very image is upon you in Christ. It's a really beautiful idea. Now, remember what I said. Paul is building a progressive understanding of the Holy Spirit. So he starts with saying, like, here's the first thing you need to know. You need to know that you belong to God forever, that his spirit is in you, you are in him, you've been, one translation says, or in one uh, passage in 1 Corinthians says that you've been united with his spirit. But as Paul goes on, he now shifts to a different understanding, and he says that, that we need to, there's a call here, an encouragement here, assess our lives, and, and we need to ask, am I filled with the same spirit by which I'm sealed. That's what he wants us to think about. He says, you've been sealed with the Spirit. That's, that's one and done. But he says here, but you must be filled with the Spirit. I, I guess this, this is safe to say that you can be sealed with the Spirit and not filled with the Spirit. Right? You can be sealed with the Spirit, yet today be in this room and by like an honest maybe look at your life and your patterns Maybe you don't feel like someone who's, here's the phrase again, full of God. That's a really interesting concept, filled with the Spirit. Obviously, in the context, it's a contrast between alcohol, which is a great illustration. Paul, Paul is communicating something that God wants for our lives. And he uses the image of alcohol as a negative example. He's like, when you're full of wine, when you're full of alcohol, when, you, when you're drunk, he says, 
You're, you're, we use the phrase, you're under the influence of that substance. And that substance, as we know, will control your behavior. It'll control your decisions. It'll control your life. In some ways, in a very destructive way. So, so he's like, no, no, don't be, there's a contrast. He's making a point. Don't be under the influence of alcohol, but to be filled with the Spirit is to be under the influence of God, right? So to be filled with the Spirit means that, that the Holy Spirit, listen to this, is the primary influence of my life. He's determining my steps. He's guiding my way. He's producing fruit. There's a lot of other great things. So it's a good question for us to ask ourselves this morning. Are we filled with the Spirit? Now, it's also important to point out that the phrase that Paul uses in the Greek here, when he says to a Christian, he says, be filled with the Spirit. The literal verb tense of be filled with the Spirit can be translated, be constantly filled with the Spirit. Meaning, it's not a one and done event, right? It's not like, well, I was filled with the Spirit two years ago at my youth camp, you know, and I went to. Or like, whatever the case may be. I had a quiet time with the Lord. That, now, there's times that mark us and transform our lives, but Paul's not talking about a one-time event. Listen, like the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's a one and done. Okay, you, you don't ever need to be resealed with the Spirit. Praise God. Praise God, Jimmy, right? Isn't that good news, though? Like, if you're in Christ, you're sealed with the Spirit, and your sin and rebellion can't break that seal. You don't need to be resealed. God, I've really wandered from you. Can I get a reseal? He goes, no, because it's an unbreakable seal. So, so you don't need to be resealed with the Spirit if you're in Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in the gospel. And Jesus said at the end of that great work that it's finished. Okay. But you, listen, don't need to be resealed. You do need to be refilled. Amen? I, I got to be refilled. Just this morning, I'm like getting ready to teach. I'm like, uh, yep, I need to be refilled. <laughs> I don't have enough in the tank. I need more of you. God. That, that's actually what Paul is commanding and calling us to. The seal of the Spirit is something we should rest in, not work for. Seal of the Spirit, something to rest in. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is something we should seek out regularly. Okay. So here's the command. Be regularly filled with the Spirit. Now, um, we good, right? I think we just laid the foundation. We, we can move on from that. Now, what a vision, Right? Uh, I want that. Anybody else? Like, I don't want to settle for being sealed. I want to be sealed and filled. And, and so, here's a, I think, if we're going to do this, like if we're going to be a community of people, because remember, this is written to a community. This is written to a fellowship of believers, and this is God's heart for our church as well, like that we would be a community of people that are not just filled with knowledge and, and passion, but, but really the Holy Spirit. If we're going to obey this command to be regularly filled, I think the question we must ask is simply, how do we do that? It's a good question, right? This was like one of the main questions that some of my conversations uh, lended uh, towards after a couple Sundays ago. It's like, who doesn't want to be a spirit-filled Christian? Okay, but how do we actually do that? That's the question we need to ask. And I want to say this about being filled with the Spirit and, and really the way to get there. Um, I want to remind us, that, that here, as Paul is calling us to something, there's like an expectation as a Christian, we be do, it's like a command, be filled with the Spirit. Let's, let's remember that God here is not asking us to do something that his word doesn't give clarity about. He's not just like, be filled with the Spirit and figure it out, you know? Like, or even like, think about it this way, like, okay, how do I do it? Like, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, go. Like, be filled right now, go. It's like, how do I do that? Do I push a button? You know, it's like in the Bible, I gotta... You know, power up, like, like what does that actually look like? And so I want to submit to us this morning, here's kind of where I want to go now. I want to submit three biblical ideas that could be, I think, helpful concepts for how to obey this call. And you could jot these down. And giving, to you, uh, giving them to you all at once is accountability for me to get through them in a timely manner. Why are you laughing? Okay. I, uh, here's three concepts that we see in Scripture I think that chart a course for us to not just know that we need to be filled and not just want to, because I know I need to be refilled and I desire to, but I think these are some help, some, not all, this is not a comprehensive list, but, but some, I think, ways forward for us as individuals to be people that can 
be constantly filled with the Spirit. There's a couple things that we need to be constantly doing in our lives, some practical things. We need to be making room for him in our lives. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we, we also want to be keeping step with him in our decisions, in our choices, as we battle the flesh. And we want to be seeking peace in him. Our relationships matter. All right, let's talk about these. First, making room for him. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to submit that maybe the first way that we can start to move towards being filled with the Spirit is by having habits and patterns and even a posture in our life that, it, that looks like making room for this. The, the Greek word, this is really interesting. The Greek word for filled here, it's fun. Um, Greek words are fun. The Greek word here is, it looks like, a, that just looks like a cool word that we should name a ministry after, okay? So eventually we'll have pleru ministry. I'm not sure what it's going to be. Uh, the Greek word here, pleru, is actually properly pronounced plerao, plerao. This is the word that Paul uses. He says, hey, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, okay. Paul's saying, plerao, the Spirit. Be plerao in the Spirit. Now, obviously, not a, Koine Greek is not familiar to most of us, okay? But in that culture, um, the, the readers and the, and the recipients of Paul's words here immediately understood what Paul was intending to say. Because this was a common and popular cultural term that was used to describe specifically um, the event of a sail catching the wind. Okay, that's what he's saying here. It was a common idea. Um, I don't know very much about uh, boats, um, sailboats for that matter. I do, here's what I know, that sailboats need wind in the sail, and it goes. That's what I know, Okay. Uh, and, and this is, is something that obviously that culture knew as well. Uh, sail boating was the way of boating other than rowing, of course. And in that culture, this idea was a very familiar concept. If you had a full sail, you were able to get where you wanted to go. So listen, this is what Paul is commanding us to do. Isn't that crazy? And it, it kind of makes sense, though, too, doesn't it? Like, think of the analogy. You and I, as it pertains to the Holy Spirit, we are not the source of the Holy Spirit, are we? We cannot manipulate his presence, though we tend to and we're tempted to try. We'd like to form it, kind of create a formula for how the Holy Spirit moves. We are not the source of the wind. We can't manipulate him, but we can miss him if our sails aren't set. So, so, so we're like sailboats spiritually. And the calling here is literally to make room for him to set our sails for him. Here's the good news. The wind of God is blowing. That's the good news. And it's not blowing because we, we earn it. It's not coming for us to lead us and fill us because we've been good enough, but because God in his grace has poured out his spirit on all flesh. The question is, is there room for him in our lives? And let, let me um, make sure I say, this is such a preacher line, so sorry, but don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay. Preachers love to say that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit cannot move if there's not room, because <laughs> that's certainly not true. The Holy Spirit loves to show up in cluttered places and make everything right. But that's a horrible and sad life to settle for, isn't it? Like, let's just be cluttered, and let's just kind of do our own thing, and here's what we know. God interrupts our plans, and so let's just kind of leave our life up to God's interruptions. Here's good news. God will pursue you. Here's better news. You can be available to him now. You can experience him now. You can be yielded to him. You can walk with him. You could know him. You could be filled right now. By how? Setting your sail. Now, Jesus, um, we see him teaching this concept to his disciples about making room for, for the Holy Spirit, especially even in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is he's ascended or he's about to ascend, excuse me, to the Father. He's died, he rose, he's with his disciples for 40 days, and he's given them the marching orders. He's sending them out into the world to be his representatives. And we see that he calls them to, to, to notice, he, here's what he says, let me just read it. He says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait, make room for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is really interesting. Jesus is sending his disciples into the world, and he doesn't say, now go and get to work. He says, stop. Go make room. Go set your sail. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, I I know that this is referring to a single event called Pentecost. That was a unique event in history. But we see the pattern of this all throughout the book of Acts. The disciples learning something that's really hard to learn, isn't it? That I need space in my life to depend on God and seek him. That if I'm left to autopilot, I'll be left to my own strength. And so time and time again, we see the disciples practicing what Jesus called them to do. Make space, make room. Gather together and wait for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it tells us this in Acts 2 that they did this. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven... I love the, you see the illustration here? As of a what? Rushing mighty wind. There's the wind of God. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's this incredible moment that we see even in Acts chapter 4. The same group of people. They make room again and the Holy Spirit fills them again. So this is, by the way, also nothing new. This isn't the first time Jesus is teaching his disciples this. Uh, a couple, uh, we could say like months maybe? Yeah, a couple months earlier, Jesus in the Gospel of John, as he's prepping his disciples for his departure, like this is one of the main things he was really seeking to ready them with. Like they, they were equipped with truth because that's what matters first and foremost. The truth of God's word is a solid foundation in our hearts and lives. But information wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't like, as I'm going to the Father, I've taught you everything I know, you'll be fine. No, he knew more than information, they needed inspiration. They needed, they needed power from on high. And so like most of his preparation, so I want you to imagine this, Jesus spent three years with the disciples, getting them ready to serve him in the world. And at the end of those three years, as he's about to ascend to the Father, his final like words to them, his like last pep talk with them, it's John 14 through 16. Jesus is, is just like giving them his last words and heart. And the main theme is this idea, the Holy Spirit's coming and you need to depend on him. You need to have, have habits in your life where you make room for him. Jesus said, I spoke these things while being present with you and that's all, you need my word. My words are spirit and life. And when you know the truth, it sets you free. But the helper, a Christian with information without the power of the Holy Spirit is missing what God has for them. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. In another translation, Jesus says, I'm gonna send the helper. He's gonna empower you and comfort you. So this is what Christ was seeking to get the disciples ready for. And this is what Paul is speaking about, that we would be like them, a community that has room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I give you a couple practical things here? Write these four things down and and I'll just kind of shot them out here. Um, four ways to think about this when we think about people that have room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe four areas. We see this in the book of Acts. Four, four like, maybe we say too, like four categories that we can set our sail for the Holy Spirit. We, we need room in our lives um, for the Holy Spirit in these ways. First, we need room in our theology. We need room in our theology for the Holy Spirit. And when I say the word theology, I don't mean like just your impressive Bible knowledge, I mean your framework of understanding of God and how God works in this world and how God works in your life. That's your theology. By the way, you don't have to be a theologian to have a theology. Everyone in this room has a theology. You have an understanding of God. You have an understanding of how he works. Um, Let me say this. You should have a good theology, okay? Seek to be a theologian. Seek to know the truth and know it well. But practically speaking, our theology is... Is, is our understanding of God, it's our faith system that leads to how we live. And Jesus was like, in all that he gave the disciples, he wanted them to have a robust theology of the Holy Spirit. Not just informationally, but a theology of, I need him. You're going to make room for the Holy Spirit when you know that you can't do anything apart from him. You're going to. Just like food. We make room to eat, don't we? Plenty of room. We drive long distances. We check Yelp reviews, okay? 
When you know your need for him, you'll make room for him. So we gotta have room in our theology. How, listen, however neat and tidy your theology is. If within your theology and understanding there is not this deep understanding that I need the power of God in my life, I wanna say this in love, you don't have the theology of Jesus. This is the theology of Jesus. This is how he thinks. And so we gotta have room in our theology. I mean, practically, we also, we need room for him, not just in a, like our frameworks of belief, but we need room for him in our schedules, which like gets cluttered the most, you know what I mean? Like as I'm thinking about the different places in my life that needs room, like the perfect illustration is, uh, it's my garage, that's what I think of, my garage. My garage is a great picture of my life. Um, it ha- first of all, it has great potential. <laughs> depressing statement. Um, you know, in 2020, where we all went crazy in our homes, and we were like, I'm going to have the next, like, this is going to be the one on Zillow that everyone's going to pick, okay? Like, or at least wish they had, you know? Um, one of the things I focused on was my garage, like, getting it to a, a, a level that I can, like, kind of want to hang out in there maybe in the fall, you know? Um, and so I, like, got my workbench all dialed in. Um, we acquired a a big squat rack and, um, uh, sorry, a laundry uh, hanger, um, same thing, um, and uh, got, like, everything, with the skateboards are organized, the fishing poles, the golf clubs, all, the, all the, the basketballs and stuff, got a little TV, little, like, tiny little, like, Costco TV mounted in there, like a cool guy, and um, a lot of potential in that garage. Problem is I have children, okay, and that garage left to itself is a war zone. Like there's tools in there and then you've, you, like it is, it is, like I should probably go to jail for sometimes the condition of my garage and the fact that humans actually walk through there and there's like sharp things in there. And so for me, like this is a rhythm. My garage won't naturally have room. So I have to be regularly seeking to make space. And, and is that not true of our schedules? God does not naturally have room in our schedules, does he? It doesn't just happen that we have all this room in our lives for God. <laughs> we have to almost do like a weekly cleaning. We have to be intentional. You know, one of the most practical ways that you can begin to have room in your schedule for God is like, what if you just started by making room in your morning for God? I'm telling you, like this is a practice of Jesus. I'm telling you, if you just kind of give that inch, watch the mile you go. Just start making it a habit to say the mornings belong to God. Let me say this, that looks different for everyone. That looks like a different time. That looks like a different season of life. Doing that with kids looks like one thing that's crazy. But make room in your schedule in your morning. And when we see in scripture this pattern, we're praying, we're fasting, we're reading God's word, we're making room. All of that, the spiritual disciplines are not the end. We know this, right? They're a means to an end. I I, I don't know about you, but I get stuck in this. I'm like, I need to pray more. No, I need God more. You know what I mean? Like, I need to fast more, and I do. But it's like, no, I need a greater hunger for God. So even the spiritual disciplines making room is for more of God. And and let me say this too, like, even throughout your day, what does it look like for you to make room in your schedule? You know, we don't spend time with God in the morning to say, okay, God, I gave you the morning. Now I can go about my day and do my own thing. Starting my day with God is about aligning my day around him. You with me? So that when I go throughout my day, I'm familiar with his voice. I'm familiar with his leading. My, my schedule's available to him. And, and I realize this. I realize that it is harder than ever, maybe, in history to do that. Because there's so much clutter. There's so many distractions. There are these little manifestations of hell called iPhones. And they notify you about everything and anything. And, uh, but I also want to say that, like, in that, too, there's probably more resources than ever, too. Like, the YouVersion Bible app, if you're not on that thing and you have an iPhone, like, that's the app that needs to be on your home screen. Like, I would just take all your apps, put them on the second screen. Every, then, like, the first screen, just the Bible app right there. And just the other day, I was like, I needed a pause break in my day. I needed, I needed to make some room for Jesus in my day. Open the Bible app. There's a verse of the day. You can meditate on God's word, and there's a guided prayer. It's like it's a little pocket pastor right here, okay? And it's like the instant room for God in my life, and it changed the trajectory of my life there. 
Okay, in our theology, continue to pray about what that looks like for you. We need to make room for God in our schedules. We, we, listen, we cannot afford to be too busy for God. We cannot afford to be too busy for God. Um, in our thoughts, let's talk about this for a second, in our thoughts, like room for God in our thoughts. Remember that verse we read here in John 14 where Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. And notice where he's going to work primarily in your life. He's gonna teach you all things and bring to your, where? Look at this, your remembrance. So one of the main ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives is he works on the frameworks of our minds. That's where he's working, in your mind. That's how we're transformed. You're changed by your thinking. You're changed by your thoughts. Jesus is like, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna change your life because he's gonna change your mind. He's gonna give you better things to think about. So we need room for the Holy Spirit in our thoughts. What does that look like? Well, that looks like meditating on what's true, filling my mind with what's true. And it looks like reflecting on that. Paul says that, to meditate on what's true. Room for the Holy Spirit in your mind is this. It's not being lazy with your thinking. Room for the Holy Spirit in my mind. Not being accustomed to what's called stinking thinking, where I just kind of follow wherever the, the thoughts lead me. I, I don't know about you, but like I got some rabbit trail thoughts in my mind that can take me to some really weird places. And I can go from feeling like so encouraged with the Lord to like some unhealthy thought patterns that just lead me into this pit of discouragement. And it's just by replaying, you know, like one of the things I do, I'm really bad at this, is like, <laughs> okay, I'm telling you this. But like, you probably do this too. You ever like have like a hard meeting and then after the meeting, you replay the meeting, but it's like 6.0 version of you. You're like all of a sudden an expert orator with like the best arguments and responses. And in that new meeting, you're like, you win the, you're like, see why I'm awesome, okay? So I do that a lot, okay? And that's, I, I found that doesn't produce much in my life. And so, so recently, just trying to say, Holy Spirit, help me take every thought captive. Help me think about what I'm thinking about to surrender it to you. We need to have room for the Holy Spirit in our theology, our schedules, our thoughts, and then pursuits. We need to have room for him in our pursuits. Um, this is something we definitely see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you have the empowered people of God. And we marvel at the book of Acts, right? We're like, look at the early church. They're so filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think there's something to the early church's power in correlation to their purpose. There's something there. Jesus in Acts 1, when he's sending the church out, he actually tells them about where the power of God can be found, where the filling of God is. He says, you're going to be witnesses to me. You're going to, you're going to surrender your life to my purposes, and you're going to receive power in that. It's really interesting. Like, there is a promised power of God in the purposes of God. It's why Solus has been able to make it five years. Amen. N not because any of us are smart enough or good enough or strong enough. And in fact, Jesus, could, he, whatever he has for us is what he has for us. But the, the reason why we've been able to do anything is because this church is here because a couple of us are like, God's like, I'm trying to do something. And he's like, come on board with it. I'm going to empower it. His power is tied to his purposes. And I, I think there's also a, another side of that. Maybe if we look at our own lives and we wonder where the power is. If there's a deficiency of power in your life, maybe ask what kind of purpose I'm living for. What's my purpose? That's where the power is. What purposes are you pursuing? Like, why are you working? What's it all for? What, whose kingdom are you building? To what end are you living? For whose glory are you existing? And that doesn't mean quit your job, by the way. That's not what that means. But maybe it means to re-enlist yourself in your job in a new way. Maybe it means you start to see your life in full surrender to ultimately the purposes of God. I'm telling you, when you approach what God has called you to do with a kingdom-minded, Jesus-centered purpose, I, pr I promise you there's power in that. You're gonna find the power of the Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way. Okay, keep with me here. We're making room for God. Another thing we're gonna do is we're gonna keep step with him. These other two will happen much faster. Keep step with him. So we wanna make room for God in our lives to be filled with the Spirit. When we do that, we see that model in the early church. We set our sails, the wind of God blows. But no matter how much room we make, 
if we don't walk in the Spirit, if we're not walking in Him, we're not going to be filled with Him. This is just what Paul has to say. It's Galatians 5. Let me read these, this whole section to you. Paul says this. In Ephesians 5, he uses the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, he translates it to a more practical way of life. He says, walk in the Spirit. Like, let it be who you're walking in. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Anybody know what that's like? If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, Paul says here, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, this is just an ugly list, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not the life of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's the works of the flesh, now it's the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us be filled with the Spirit, or let us walk in the Spirit. What an interesting concept. Uh, Paul is, is giving us a vision for a life in the Spirit, and it's marked by these incredible things. He says, being filled with the Spirit, it's, it's this life marked by some beautiful attributes. Like, it's been said, like, being filled with the Spirit is not so much how high you can jump in the Lord, but how straight you can walk. That's, I'm filled with the Spirit. It's like, well, you're really emotional. That's really good. But what sort of fruit is there in your life, right? The fruit of the Spirit. He says, love, joy, peace. I mean, all these in, incredible things that every one of us would want in our lives. There's a great vision for a life filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's a conflict that we're all very familiar with that Paul presents. Because the problem keeping us from this life in the Spirit is these things called the lusts of the flesh. He describes a battle in our lives between the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. It's a battle of desires. The Spirit of God has great desires within me. We know, we know what this is like, right? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You know what I'm talking about? So the Spirit of God, he, he says, walk in me, be filled with me. But at the same time, there's this competition that I face in my flesh because my flesh wants all sorts of sinful things. And my flesh naturally veers into all sorts of sinful directions. It's why we gotta be careful when we follow ourselves and our heart and our feelings. And, and he lists a whole just junk drawer of these things, Right? all these different works of the flesh. And he says this, what this conflict does, it's really interesting, this conflict keeps me from the things of the Spirit. He's like, the, the, the Spirit is trying to do some cool things in my life, but the flesh is at war with the Spirit, and they're contrary, and maybe we, you know what this is like, and so we find ourselves in a place where we don't do the things that we desire to do. And Paul, if you, I'm sure you have read Romans 7 before, Paul really goes into this. Paul like describes the human experience. And he's like, here's the human experience. I know, I see the law of God, it's holy, it's good. I see the vision for my life. But there's this other law that I also saw, it's my sinfulness. It's a sin in my flesh. And so Paul goes, so, so what happens in my life is the things that I really desire to do, I don't end up doing. In fact, the opposite, I end up really good at doing the things I hate to do. I know you hate to do the thing you keep doing. I, I know you hate to not do the thing that God has called you to do. This is called the flesh in Scripture. And, and Paul describes this battle. But I want you to notice, man, I want you to notice what's really good news here. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 7 is a real thing, okay? Like, you get into some community, what you're going to find is everybody else is in that boat. They're just like, I want to be a great mom, but sometimes I yell at my kids, and I hate to do that, but I do it. Or, or you fill in the blank. This is, this is the human condition. But notice the other side of that, for those of us who are in Christ. Walk, there's a call. 
Yes, that's true, but walk in the Spirit. I want you to hear this. Um, God's word here is not calling us to do something that the Holy Spirit will not empower us to do. This is the good news of the gospel. In fact, Romans 7, it's a great chapter because it describes the human condition, but I feel like nobody ever moves on to chapter 8, which is even better. It's like the inner cathedral of the, of the New Testament. Romans 8 is just so amazing. And, and Paul says in Romans 7, he's like, oh man, I can never do what God's called me to do. I constantly fall short. You know, here I am. I'm just such a sinner, right? But Paul says in Romans 8, but the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. We need two things. In the church especially, we need spaces where people can feel free to lean on the grace of God and to come and be a, be a fellow sufferer and sinner with God's people. We also need Christians who are confident in the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives to change them and transform them. Here's what Paul is saying. The flesh is real. I don't need to tell you, your sin is real, okay? But Paul says here that you and I in Christ you're not doomed to the life of the flesh. You're not doomed to a life of sin. You're not doomed to your sin struggle. You're not doomed to only always say, I can't do what God's called me to do. I say then, walk in the Spirit. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like when sin's a real thing? I, I think of the other day driving up to Vera Beach just yesterday. And I had, some, I had a natural, fleshly, I'll confess my sin to you. Check it out. I was, I was in the passing lane, okay? Um, welcome to Florida. The, the, the left lane is the passing lane. We all know this, but statistically we don't, okay? So, and there was, two, I was on a turnpike, two lanes, <clears throat> and they were both, you know, when it's just gridlocked both ways, <clears throat> it wasn't even rush hour, it's just Florida. Nobody had Florida plates either, but I, it's not a problem. So I'm in the passing lane because I, like, I just want to be ready to be able to take off and go the speed limit, you know? And, and then some guy comes behind me. And it's like, dude, dude, we're, you're not going anywhere, okay? Stop being so close to me. I don't like it. It's too it's uncomfortable. Your car's stupid, okay? I don't... <clears throat> and it makes me mad that you think it's cool, okay? Um, <laughs> so this guy's riding my rear... And, I, but, and to be honest, I'm like, I feel bad for him. You know what I'm saying? This is probably a whole other sermon called Driving in the Spirit, okay? <clears throat> this guy, so he comes up next to me, and, I, and I, I'm like feeling him. So I was like, I did one of these, like, I know, dude. And then he proceeded to roll down his window and perform sign language. And he was like, tell me to look up at the sky for some, like with one of his fingers. And he's like, I'm your number one fan. Um, so that made me feel upset. And, <clears throat> okay, about five minutes later, <laughs> he couldn't get over. And so I pass him. And it just, first of all, it felt really good to pass him, right? Just like, I'm tortoise in the hair, I win, okay? And as I'm passing him, everything in, like, I, this is my, I was going to double beep the horn. I was going to be giving like a pop, pop. And in that moment, I'm thinking about how lazy Andrew could be with his flesh. It's just so easy to do the natural thing. So I'm, I'm like, I can't teach on this and then not actually practice it, Lord, you know. And so I thought about this scripture that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I killed that desire right there in the car, like inches away from the horn. And by the way, this is a success story. For every success story, I have a million others that are not as successful. And I, but can I tell you something? I felt a nearness to Christ in that stupid little moment. I felt the joy of the Lord. I felt an encouragement. Like, wow, I can walk in the Spirit. You can walk in the Spirit. You probably can't do it alone. You need community. It's not gonna happen perfectly, but it will happen progressively as you seek Jesus and you walk in him. When you walk in the Spirit, you'll find a greater life full of the Spirit because sin just does all sorts of nasty things to the work of God in our lives. So we keep confessing. We keep returning. We keep, we keep seeking and laying full hold of what God has for us.
Amen? Hey, the last point is to seek peace in your relationships because the Holy Spirit's in that. Let's bring the band out to close this out, all right? We're gonna, hey, listen, we're going to close uh, with a final uh, moment here of reflection. And uh, really, for the sake of time, I won't be able to get all the way into this. But read Ephesians 4. Read, uh, read that, really, that whole chapter connects the work of the Spirit in our lives to our relationships. And we can't just, like, we can't divorce our relationship with God and our relationships horizontally. Um, there, there's, there's often great challenges to life in the Spirit when we don't deal with the conflicts in our lives. So that, that would have been a great third point. Um, but I want to honor your time, honor our time here. I'm a little bit over. And so I want to transition our time now. I want us to be able to create a space here where we can practically do here and, 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 and pursue something that we want for the rest of our lives. Remember this first idea about making room for him. Maybe this is foreign to you. Maybe because your thoughts are often so cluttered, and even right now your mind's on, whether it's picking up your kids, getting brunch, the things you got to do today, I get that it's, it's naturally not easy to be available to God. But I, w- I thought what we could do here as we close, and talking with, with Jimmy about this on the front end, there's a song that the Lord put on Jimmy's heart that matches even this moment. I, I thought we could just create a space here right now where in a simple way, we could all do our best effort to practice this. And just, even if it's coming before God and saying, God, I don't know how to make room for you and I want you to help. That might be your move today. Maybe your move is just, is just stopping and being still for a second and entering with thanksgiving. Maybe the words just minister to you. Maybe there's some things we talked about in here and you just need to take that between you and God and start to pray. Start to talk with him. You know, we, we try to make room here every Sunday after the service, not because it's pragmatic to close with music, but because it's necessary for us to do more than just hear God's word. We, we've got to come before him and say, God, plant that seed in my heart. Let it marinate in my soul so we can translate in my life. So I want to encourage us, let's take full advantage of this opportunity right now. Let's make space for God in our hearts. I'll come up and close this out in one moment.